live from the NextCast Phanthropological Institute. After five rounds, we'll tally the victory points and see who the winner is. Today, we're talking about Board Game Geeks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Phanthropological. Of course, much like Who's Line, the victory points are made up and they don't matter. Urgh! If you are playing a set collection game, three Nicks are worth ten points. <laughs> and uh, I'm Nick G, and the other two Nicks you need to complete your set are Nick T. Uh, hello, uh, I'm worth 50 victory points because I said so. Also, make sure that when you draft uh, this episode, you draft to the left. And Nick Z. Hey, uh, I'm going to fill up my energy tank and... Uh... Do that thing. I'm going to do the thing. What? I feel like you're a couple episodes behind. I might be. I might be. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mega man. Welcome back. Also, sounds like you didn't do the research for the episode that you are on in your head. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, as G mentioned, alluded to, etc. This week we are talking about fans of board games and what better way to start talking about board games than talking very briefly about the history by getting into the facts facts. i am going to start by saying i did not dig too deeply into the history of board games because it's a really long history and most of our talk of board gaming is going to talk probably recent yeah like probably the last (laughs) i don't know 10, 15 years or so probably yeah. i didn't do that research so let's do the stuff that i did do all right board games are obviously quite broad and historically date back quite a ways wikipedia provides a succinct description not unlike a description of life because it's a really generic description <laughs> a board game is a tabletop game that involves counters or pieces moved or placed on a pre-marked surface or board according to a set of rules Some games are based on pure strategy, but many contain an element of chance, and some are purely chance with no element of skill. Games usually have a goal that a player aims to achieve. Early board games represented a battle between two armies, and most modern board games are still based on defeating opponents in terms of counters, winning positions, or accrual of points. I read that and I was just like, yeah, okay, so that's just life. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, hard to argue with. Yeah. While it is unclear what the first board game was, many early games date back as far as 5,000 years ago. Some examples of early board games include Senet, which is Egyptian, which is approximately 5,000 years old, Go, Baruch, uh, Waiki, etc., from China about 2,500 years ago, and this was a surprise to me, Backgammon, Hmm. originating from... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Backgammon's crazy old. Uh, I would have thought it's not. I would have just figured it's a British thing. <laughs> but it actually originates in Persia and is also about 5,000 years old. That's what Britain wants you to <laughs> Curry, the world's best tasting yeah. English yeah. dish. England, home of the best curry. <laughs> the size of the fandom is hard to estimate, and I have a couple of proxies, which might even come up multiple times during the episode. Board Game Geek has approximately 360 thousand registered users as of 2010 probably more now and at the time it had a hundred thousand active people per month 
the most backed board game on Kickstarter was Exploding Kittens. Oh, yeah. And it had almost 220,000 backers. Normally, I would take the numbers verbatim and be like, yeah, this is probably a good approximation, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong in this case. Like, I, th- I think there's probably significantly more than 360,000 fans of board games. I feel like there should be a not very hard way to tell that from Board Game Geek itself. I couldn't even find that. I went to a thread on Board Game Geek where somebody had asked that. Yeah, that's weird that that information isn't there, but I guess maybe that's not what people are looking for. Probably not. Related to our famous last words <laughs> from last week, I tried to find Sorted by Price, and that also wasn't a thing. No. In terms of fan demographics, there was a rather extensive series of blog posts by a blog called The Daily Worker Placement. (laughs) Uh, It was a seven-part blog series, which was all derived from one survey of almost 2,400 respondents. From that survey, most of the respondents were from the United States, about 56%. The largest group was folks aged 25 to 35 at about 42%. The next largest group was folks 35 to 44 at 33%, 16% were older than 45. Surprising to me, 52% of that group was married, Hmm. and an additional 15% were in a relationship. The majority of the people surveyed were male, with 24% identifying as female, 1.1% as non-binary, and 0.6% as trans. Board gamers tend to be well-educated. Almost two-thirds had a bachelor's degree or higher. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And many of them have a large tenure. Less than 25% of respondents had been playing board games for two years or less. But almost half of them had been playing between three and ten years. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to talk too much about search data because it's actually quite boring in this case. Uh, As it turns out, interest in board games is really periodic. Every year in December, there's a spike in interest. Huh. I suspect it's Christmas, yeah. but it could be a board game convention. Yep. And by the Google search data, interest in board games has actually been on the decline until about 2010, and then it's been coming back up to 2004 levels ever since. Interesting. It's got like a little bowl going on there. <laughs> huh. Yeah. But if you look at the graph, it's going to be like spike, 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 spike. I think what came out around then, Dominion came out around 2004. Maybe that's when Settlers, like, came to North America, not when it was created. That could be it, too. And I found fanfics related to board games. What now? (laughs) So I didn't get a straight-up number because on Archive of Our Own, there are multiple categories. So there's, like, uh, anime, books, games, and there's another section called Other Media. In the section called Other Media, you can look at the different categories, which would be properties or something. So my very scientific search was how many times is the word game mentioned on that page? And that was about 100. So that means there's 100 categories like of different board games. I looked into things before when I was searching for board games and there was like 20. Settlers of Catan had seven fanfics, which mostly look like AU um, or like real person fiction kind of stuff. Interesting. But there were fanfics, which I was not expecting. <laughs> no, I would have guessed zero, <laughs> but uh, never say never. Yeah. So that's a, a little bit of a brief, quick little fan facts for board games. <laughs> which leaves last episode's mm-hmm. famous last words. Yeah. We go a couple of 
quickly terms. Ooh. Oh, did you find some? Because I, I was like... I mean, I found more than you could ever want, <laughs> but I mean like... Oh, okay. In brief. I have a list of terms that I may not even know. Okay. I have a glossary here. I'm just going to pick out just a couple. Okay. People get an idea. So we have Ameritrash. I'm assuming that's referring to American board games? <laughs> like traditional American board games? Yeah. Okay. I'm using Glassroom Board Game Geek. Board Game Geek is a very good resource <laughs> if you are a fan of board games, by the way. A catchphrase for American-style board games in general. This means games that emphasize a highly developed theme, player-to-player conflict, and usually feature a moderate to high level of luck. Examples it gives is Axis and Allies, Dune, Cosmic Encounter, Talisman, and Twilight Imperium. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. The flip side of that is Euro. <laughs> synonym for german game thank you for making me play this stupid <laughs> game uh typically euro games relatively simple rules short playing times fairly high levels of abstraction and player interaction and attractive physical components what it's not what i think of as euro <laughs> when euro i think small wooden cubes <laughs> little player interaction and almost no luck hmm. it's like the opposite of a mirror trash <laughs> euro doesn't get labeled as, as euro trash but it's a mirror trash one thing I've learned is that a lot of board gamers do not like luck Ooh. or random elements. I feel like we're going to come back to that. <laughs> oh, oh, we definitely are. A couple more quickly. Sure. AP, analysis paralysis. <laughs> yes. Which is just someone takes a real long time to figure out exactly the perfect thing to do in their turn. I'll round it off with FLGS. Game space is the GS? Not quite. Z, would you like a guess? Um, Funland Game. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> well, you both guessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it stands for Friendly Local Game Store. Oh, uh, I thought it might have something yeah. to do with that. I remember encountering yeah. that in the uh, the Magic Gathering episode. Oh, yeah. yeah you get a, go, go on down to your good old FLGS with your community of fellow gamers. Mm-hmm. And uh, by code names, I guess. <laughs> code names is pretty good. Everybody's got to start somewhere. I'm reading through a thread, and it's and like half of it's like, guys, code name is so good. <clears throat> we can get to that. But yes, famous last words. Right, right. Famous last words. Famous last words. Okay. Let's start on some neutral ground. We want to avoid the player-to-player interaction for this episode. <laughs> uh, let's start with Caitlin's uh, famous last words. Caitlin was our guest from last episode. We were talking about anime and mega for girls, like specifically Shoujo and Jose, which I mean is like half the anime and mega market. Her famous last words, which were a question, was, man, I've used the wrong conjugation. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Those words were, what board game has the most detailed, complicated, esoteric rules? I looked into this. Did either of you also look into this? I did. I feel like I looked into it while I was sitting next to you. Yep. <laughs> Did anyone find one that tops campaign for North Africa? What was the difficulty rating on that? Because I I looked through Board Game Geek by difficulty. Like weight, you mean? Yeah, yeah. 4.84 out of 5. Okay. Hmm. So for some context for people who don't know anything about Board Game Geek, which is fine, the complexity. It's just a, a score that Board Game Geek uses to estimate how light or heavy a game is in terms of mechanics and whatnot. So 5 is really hard and 1 is really easy. And that's user voted. So I looked for games between 4.5 and 5 that had over 100 people who had played it. Okay. Because I wanted to get like, uh, you know, only one person played it, so it doesn't really matter. Well, using the very scientific method of looking it up on Quora, <laughs> I found a 
a thread that was all about, you know, what is the most complex or what is the hardest board game ever created. And the campaign for North Africa showed up quite a bit. But mm-hmm. another thing that got a few mentions in those answers was Avalon Hill's Advanced Squad Leader. Hey, that was the answer that I had. Ooh. Advanced Squad Leader came out in 1985, which had uh, at least 100 people who had played it before. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man. Campaign for North Africa from 1979. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Those are both old games. Yeah. Um, I guess people just saw, you know, the end of board games on the horizon and were like, you got to go all in. <laughs> we have to come up with a game that we can play till we're all dead. <laughs> there aren't going to be any more new good board games, so let's just make the last one. <laughs> with 10,000 hours of gameplay. P- pl- playing time with 10 players of Campaign for North Africa is 1,200 hours. Oh. That's all. I was trying to get a succinct description of advanced squad lead just to give people some idea, but like Mm -hmm. the description of it is just like these are the improvements to regular squad lead, and I'm like, what? Like here's here's what I quoted the first paragraph. Advanced squad leader is the completely reorganized and redesigned version of the original squad leader system. While ASL is advanced, it is actually a simpler game than the original squad lead. After the three follow-on gamets. This three-ring binder is the basic rules for the entire system and provides the ultimate combination of playability and detail. Full-color charts and beautiful pictures make this the most readable of rule books (laughs) and include a full-service index as well for quick reference. Later, it talks about a three-ring binder and having stats for bazookas, and it's like, (laughs) what is even... So, so also a war game. Yes. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I played... I don't know, 10 to 12 hour game of a board game called Advanced Civilization, which was designed not solely, but by Laura, who we've had on the show before, his dad. And I played it with him (laughs) and several other people. And that was like the most mind numbing, brain warping game that I've ever played. And it is 3.68. Wow. These games, um, Campaign for North Africa, what was the other one? Squad Leader? Advanced Squad Leader. Advanced Squad Leader. It's like, instead of D&D, you're playing a military game and you're playing the same campaign for the rest of your life. Also, it really happened. Mm-hmm. For North Africa, yeah. anyway. It, uh, there's a conflict that actually happened. <sighs> All right. So, we got something for Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking that question, Caitlin. Yeah. Yeah. No probs. All right. G, do you want me to go with your dumb question mm-hmm. that we didn't use or the one that you actually... I'm assuming you only researched one of them. I'm, I'm just going to not answer that, and I'm hoping that you'll figure out the, what the right answer is. All right. <laughs> your final last words, your famous last words from last episode was a statement, and that statement was, board games helped popularize Kickstarter. Okay. I should have phrased it backwards. <laughs> yeah. Because I did find this is an article from August of this year entitled, Tabletop Games are, are Responsible for a Quarter of All Money Made on Kickstarter in 2017. Apparently there was a spike around March 2012, and it never stopped. And they interviewed Kickstarter's head of games, Luke Crane, hmm. and say that board game manufacturers or makers uh, like it because it allows you to like show all your pieces in detail, mm-hmm. unlike Amazon. You can throw in all those exclusives, which people love, mm-hmm. because there, there are a lot of like limited... Kickstarter editions of games that are only available to those who have invested. 
highest funded games project in site history was Kingdom Death Monster 1.5, which raised $12.3 million. Cool. People know that Kickstarter is where you find games now. It is very intertwined. And also, people love that ground floor. <laughs> so comfy. Back before elevators, it was where all the rich people stayed in hotels. Because <laughs> they didn't have to lug their bags up yeah. a bunch of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're rich, you're not lugging well, your bags anyway. Well, no. There's someone to do that. Yeah. Uh, also, a six-month study was done in 2016. The card and role-playing games raised six times as much money as their digital counterparts, video games. Oh, man. Well, breaking news, everybody. Video games are dying. Board games are taking over. That's right. We've cracked it. I mean, <laughs> Uncle Pennybags is strangling Sonic. <laughs> Sonic was probably strangling himself and doing some other weird stuff. Now that's a fan. Not that not that last bit, but the, the Uncle Pennybags and Sonic, that's a fanfic I want to see. <laughs> Making him choke on that money. All that money he got off of Kickstarter. Is Scrooge McDuck in there too? <laughs> uh, probably. Sure. Probably, yeah. 8-bit Scrooge McDuck. I happened to come across similar data to UG. From 2009 to 2016, looking at all the Kickstarted things, games were the largest category with almost half a billion dollars oh my god uh and of that category 25 percent were video games which means the remainder <laughs> was like board and card games wow which is a lot when z was mentioning video games dying it's funny because in that same article there's this person that they're like uh for board games there was a big need for kickstarter says thomas bideau who runs video game market research firm ico partners the industry was kind of dying hmm, hmm. man you get the people who are passionate about it directly on it yeah however i'll look at the flip side with an article sweetly and cruelly entitled kickstarter addict reflects on backing sixteen thousand dollars worth of board games <laughs> regrets everything <laughs> <laughs> wow this is on mashable okay and it's just like it was fomo i just wanted to get in on, on like all ground floor i wanted to get in on all that stuff and he's like thinking about it I should probably just sit back and wait for everyone to cut the wheat from the chaff mm -hmm. to find out after the fact if it's good, like I do when I hear about a new show being launched, <laughs> to see what people are saying about it. Yeah. But yeah, Kickstarter is a vital part of board gaming these days. But uh, ultimately, I don't think it helped Kickstarter begin, but it certainly is driving a lot of Kickstarter now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, I'll go with mine. What is the most expensive non-Monopoly board game that is commercially available? I kind of threw the last part of my question out the window. I just wanted to find something. Excluding, like, as you said, like gold-plated Monopoly <laughs> or... Yeah, so yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by asking a question to, to you two. Sure. Uh, of all the other BS answers that could have been, what are the top three? Like, what do you think is definitely, like, this is the most expensive game? Not counting all the, like, fun board games, like, just the, the stupid answers that you know are going to be in there. Hmm. I feel like it is commercially available, although probably in very limited quantities. But the cones of Dunshear. Is it? Did someone make it? I'm sure somebody has. For those not in the know, it, the cones of Dunshear is a board game invented by one of the characters on Parks and Rec, the TV show Parks and Rec. All right. Okay. It's incredibly complex and you gain like power cubes and use them to run your cones, which enables you to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Okay. Like it's funny because the, the sitcom writers just wrote what was yeah. funny. And then someone probably took those details I'm and made a game. Sure. 
Adam Scott might have had a hand in making it. I don't know. Oh, dang. But I feel like that's a thing. And I feel like it would be pretty expensive because the whole tie-in and limited run. Okay. Nope. Not anywhere in that top three. Definitely not. Okay. I want to say some sort of golden chess set or something <laughs> like that. Okay. All right. Um, if we're talking about educated guesses, I have different guesses. I mean, you're welcome to make whatever guesses you want. I'm going to wait a second, then I'm going to say the answers. <laughs> okay. I think... Hmm. I want to say Twilight Imperium, but there may be another level. But I'm going to say Twilight Imperium. Okay. So I couldn't find a good list is the answer, but okay. But what I could find. So the garbage answers are uh, chess, Monopoly, and Dominoes. Of varying qualities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can find like chess, obviously being a game that doesn't have any licensing or anything like that. Just make gold encrusted diamond, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Monopoly, same deal. Dominoes, same idea. But I found out that there actually is a game that is potentially more expensive than any of those and is, was commercially available. And fortunately for me, has a definitive answer. It is recognized by the Guinness Book of Records as the most expensive board game in the world. Oh. So it has definity to it, which is nice because that doesn't usually happen. And that game is Outrage Deluxe. It retails at almost 8,000 pounds for which connoisseurs can play on a hand-finished board set in a solid mahogany cabinet. Cards are edged with gold leaf. (laughs) Playing pieces are made from hallmarked sterling silver and the jewels are fashioned in solid gold studded with rubies, sapphires, diamonds, and emeralds. Wow. Is that why it's called Outrage? <laughs> I have no idea. I think the game is called Outrage Steal the Crown Jewels. Uh, the real jewels. <laughs> yes. Comes with actual crown jewels. <laughs> so I think that is the definitive most expensive board game. I can't imagine there being another one more expensive. It still falls into the BS category of it's like, what if we just gave a diamond and stuff? Yeah. But it's like a singular specific thing. Yeah. Z, mm-hmm. your famous last words. Uh, and I apologize if I wrote it down incorrectly because I'm writing it at the end of the episode and I usually don't revise it until we do the research for the next one. So your famous last words as I wrote them were the boom in board game creation over the last decade comes from people remembering unsatisfying board game experiences with life, trouble and monopoly and similar games as a kid. Not in the least. I found a thread on Board Game Geeks, their forums, all about why do you design board games? And people gave all sorts of reasons that had nothing to do with childhood memories of unsatisfying board game experiences. Things like fostering social interaction, making money, although I feel like that one might have been a bit of a sarcastic post. <laughs> um, a creative outlet, you know, a way to have a cool idea and to bring it to life. But I think a little bit more, hopefully, a little bit more shedding light on things is um, some of the info I dug up on the famed board game designer, Rainier Knizia, or Knizia, I'm not sure mm. if K is silent or not, who apparently has 600 plus games to his name that he has designed. And his story kind of ties into his childhood a little bit because he was so, I don't know, enamored, interested, whatever the case may be 
in board game design as a kid he would like combine a bunch of different money sets from monopoly games and set up like an all-new trading game i guess like stock trading oh man just with the monopoly money much like uh other people who've gone on to create great things but sort of in line with uh, their creative tendencies in childhood obviously he went on to make a bunch of games so it seems to be a much more positive force driving board game designers than something negative it sounds like it's like a love of games and a desire to like push that further as opposed to being a reactionary kind of well this sucks i can make a better yeah. version of that yeah yeah i mean i think there is still an element of that like all right just just yawn right right into the why let's do it right. just do like it. just drop why? so like you know making these board games is not just because they were all these crappy mechanics right mm-hmm. yeah so I was watching this documentary on YouTube, uh, it's short, it's like 10 minutes, called The Board Game Boom, out of a number of different game designers and whatnot. And early on in the documentary, it talks about how there are a lot of mechanics from early board games that basically don't exist today. Mm. Notably, things like player elimination. Yes. Like, yeah. for those who don't know, player elimination is like, you're playing Monopoly, you go bankrupt, you have to sit there and watch every other jerk who bankrupted you <laughs> play the game until a winner's determined now if that doesn't happen that's probably because you just flipped the board <laughs> yep so obviously some people were dissatisfied with that and then started to like remove mechanics people designed games to make games better one of the reasons that euro games caught on from that same documentary in the 1970s games started being developed in germany with like actual choice not chance <laughs> where you could think about how your moves impact the game future plays etc clearly somebody thought that the existing mechanics of just like dice and cards was not sufficient yeah they wanted to make something where the player has more agency like chess there's no randomness in chess right but they wanted to kind of bring that to board game as opposed to just being like well pick a card that determines how far you move or roll the dice or the spinner, or the popomatic bubble. <laughs> they really marketed that well. It was really fun. To yeah. pop, even, though was, <laughs> even though it was just a die inside. Yeah. But yeah, it's like it doesn't have to be like whoever wins, I guess, based on dice roll. Let's have some skill involved, or, yeah. or not invent new skills, but put more thought into the game. Mm-hmm. And everything that I was reading about game designers didn't really come across that too much the whole idea of improving mechanics but i did come across that quite a bit just uh, going through the reddit forums on our board games and seeing what everybody had to say and definitely in one thread asking about whether or not uh, you'd ever given away a board game or brought it back to the retailer or whatever one of the major reasons was usually that the mechanics were not good they like made it possible for you to have a do nothing turn Machikoro was was accused of this constantly. Um or Good. <laughs> Ooh. I've fallen out of love with that game. Yeah. Mm. Apparently it is a gateway game. It is considered light. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. settlers. Yeah. Nobody wants to play that. <laughs> my friend Mitch had, had my favorite quote about settlers. Every turn someone doesn't have fun playing Katan. <laughs> <laughs> And that much is true. Yeah, yeah. 
there's also a lot of uh, people speaking out about mechanics that uh, made the game too easy to solve, in a sense. Too easy to win, I guess. That there wasn't quite enough of a puzzle. Right, like the mechanics are, once laid out, is, is very apparent. Like, this is the winning strategy. Yeah. And those are probably games with less player interaction, I'm guessing. Probably, I didn't... Because there's a lot of random elements there. All right, listen up, nerds. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of... Let's say deep reading about board games. <laughs> what else would we say if it wasn't deep reading? Like personally for a while. Oh, okay. I see. Um, <laughs> something off a board game thread spans, I don't know, five years. Ooh. I'm halfway through it. I don't know why they didn't make a new thread, but whatever. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of... And, and I can sort of see it because of the sheer amount of board games that exist. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a lot of like, I only want to play the best games <laughs> if this has a faulty mechanic or if this does something that another game does but not the same way or not as well i don't want to play it <laughs> i only want the platonic ideal of each type of game that sounds like you're talking about a bunch of jerks <laughs> <laughs> no but like <sighs> so there was a as i was doing the research this week i came across that survey which is very long and one of the parts i think it was the fifth or sixth part actually had information on what kinds of games people enjoy playing which if i thought enough would hope to dispel any myths of that kind of thing but i only wrote down the things that people didn't like okay like for example if you're talking about fans of board games and these are fans people don't like war games about 35 percent had it as their most disliked genre of board game interesting 22 percent didn't like dexterity games (laughs) <laughs> like you know like uh dutch blitz you know you gotta yep. quickly yeah. do things as a person who hates dexterity games <laughs> i get it i do get it for the same reason i didn't like the wiimote oh <laughs> i just wanted i just wanted to do the button inputs but like that tends towards like i just want a puzzle to solve with my mind <laughs> and different types of games are good but I'm not good at dexterity games. Yeah, and 25% didn't like um, miniature tabletop games. Like, I guess like Hero Clicks or things like that. Okay, like Warhammer? Uh, I don't know if that was included. Yeah. Okay. There was also like, what game mechanics do people like? Which is just like an insane list. It's just a list? Yeah, it's just a lot of different mechanics. It was in a tree, so it showed you how they went. Yeah, But like at the top are things like resource management and worker placement and tile placement and exploration. Mm-hmm. And like there was a, like, what is press your luck? What is bend your yeah. luck? What is pick up and deliver? What is action point allowance? <laughs> Hidden trader. Like these are like ranked in different things. Yeah. Most liked Euro strategy games. So 71.5%. Huh. <laughs> funny that not super surprising yeah they they stereotype i've developed after doing a bit of reading is is all board game geeks love heavy euros (laughs) well and that was another thing yeah the largest group of respondents 21 percent, spend six to ten hours a week gaming man if it's in one night that's certainly a lot (laughs) oh yeah i mean that means to me that somebody's playing games like twice a week yeah yeah that's a lot it's a lot of gaming but i mean you're passionate about it you're gonna to want to do it a lot yeah, and you got the group exactly the group is key right because mm-hmm. there are some solo games that you can play yeah but often the goal is to get together with people and, and, uh, and play a game and you gotta have a group 
that will we'll play some games with you, and then you start getting games that will fit with the group. Mm-hmm. Some people have all their particular preferences. I have so much data for this week's episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but like, without diving into that too much, that's what I was going to mention. Yeah. I don't even care what the rest of this episode would be, because I think the only thing worth talking about when talking about board game fans which is going to be in direct contravention to probably what G thinks. (laughs) Yes. The reason that people are fans of board games is because of the community. And that's always the case with fans. But like everything that I read, everything that I watched pointed to the fact that people play board games to connect with other people. Like, yeah, okay, there's mechanics and stuff. But like people are doing this to be part of a community. 77% of the people who filled out that survey, were registered on BoardGameGeek. And another 15% of those used BoardGameGeek. A bunch of people, like 44%, said that they're solo gamers. But of those people, most of them also play with other people. 65% of folks played with a small regular group. People don't play board games alone. Mm -hmm. They play board games to connect other people, to put away their phones and (laughs) all that crap. Mm. Unless the board game uses your phone. I mean, there are a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Werewolf, for example. Well, that just makes it easier. Yeah. It's yeah. like a ticket to ride counting the things at the end of the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like it starts with you've got people across the table beside you, and then there's the game. The mechanics dictate how you interact with them, but yeah, it is about getting together with people, mm-hmm. having a shared experience. To some, I'm sure it's about unplugging or not being in front of screens all the time. I don't know how much of it is in contrast to video gaming. Because I don't think of board games or video games being similar. No. But I would have, on the face of it, said that they're similar. But after like doing some episodes on both, I'm like, <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> like, even, even when you want to like win at video games or board games, they're very different. Yeah. Well, like, even getting back to the whole idea of uh, community and whatnot, specifically the community that, you know, you form around the table as you're playing a board game is very different from the kind of community you would form playing a game online. Because, like, speaking from personal experience, if I'm playing Smash Bros, for example, and I think somebody pulls a cheap move on me, knocks me out of the game, I'm a little bit angry, but I'm a bit pissed. But, you know, if somebody, you know grabs that card that i wanted to buy from the market area in a board game or something like that it's like ah well okay i gotta change up strategies i gotta try something else yeah yeah you can't you can't just be like ah ah screw you i can't believe and then like (laughs) rage whereas on a video game i guess you can and it doesn't really change your experience i mean that that tells more about how crappy video games are um there's a, (laughs) a youtube channel i think called pop culture detective yes talking about how conflict is so present in video games. Mm -hmm. And I think in sharp contrast to that, if that was the only distinction, board games may have elements of conflict where players conflict against each other. But like we were saying before, there's, there's no player elimination. Even when they're worker placement games where you're competing with other people for spaces, it's not as though people are taking away your only options and taking away your agency. You still have choices. You just need to change your strategy. It's more cerebral. It's less directly competitive yeah mm-hmm. it's not like i shot you in the head <laughs> it's like you're going to have to try and make it work with different cards or, or whatever like it's your adaptability rather than like 
you have to start the game again from the beginning. Yeah, but... Whereas everybody else doesn't. <laughs> but the interesting thing with board games is that when you're playing a board game, there's like this part of the social contract or something. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but there's this thing <laughs> where in a board game, you know, you can betray your friends. You can stab people in the back. You can be a jerk. But somehow that's okay because it's a board game. You know, it like opens up this social space where it's okay to kind of like dabble in, in being an ass. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of get that out of your system a little bit. Maybe. How did you and Soph play board games, Z? How, what do you, how do you mean? Well, so with my ex and even with my current partner, like, yes, you can dabble yeah. in being a jerk. Uh I don't there, if you, you so I'm not claim... saying I'm not saying everybody does because it's allowed. I'm just oh, okay. saying it's it's a possibility. Oh yeah. If I if I I don't know, if I like go behind your back and steal your job in real life, you're like, oh what the f But if I just, you know, if we're playing the game of life and I steal the, the job <laughs> token you're yeah. after or whatever, you know. Is there a hidden trader mechanic in the game of life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's called time. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you're right sorry if you mean dabbling in the sense that like you that's something that you can actually do yeah where you won't be overtly punished for yeah it. it's an option yeah yeah it was something that unsurprisingly came up on reddit a few times people saying that that was one of the reasons they enjoyed board games that let them screw around with their friends a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well you know reddit yeah i'm the tanner <laughs> oh man classic as soon as the tanner's in there <laughs> I got it in the bag. Um, That's interesting because it's a whole mechanic staged around like lying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a healthy amount of games that have what I like to call <laughs> you cards. Yeah. That can be played. I was <laughs> just like, nope, you're not doing that. <laughs> like, there's there's quite a few. Um, mm-hmm. Flux is one. Yep. Control, which we play on the weekend, is another one. Yes. Yeah. So, like, and for some people, that's part of it. And. I feel like people who are fans of your style games do not like that. They're solving a problem mm. in their area mm. and they don't want external influences. Also, no luck. No, no. But I mean, I don't have a full understanding of, of Euro strategy games, but I mean, even in those, there's still like a shared pool of resources. and Usually, yeah. Yeah, and it's not like there's an infinite number or that... Say a board game uh, plays up to four people. It's not like there are four copies of every card or whatnot. No. But if there's not a lot of direct player interaction, mm-hmm. people can pretend they're just playing their own one. That's true. They're like, oh, I just, I just wanted this card. I didn't <laughs> see, man. I'm just, uh... <laughs> Another thing that's been eliminated, not eliminated, but is very de-emphasized in this era of board games is winning being the person to do something first. Right. Or rather, there's a harder distinction between game end and game winner. Right. Like, there's a lot of the game ends, now let's see who won. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes there's a benefit. Like, you finished first, that's great, you get a a boon for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you don't just win-win. Like, we were playing uh, Artifacts, Inc. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the person who triggered the end of the game is at an advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they win. That doesn't make them the winner of the game, yeah. Because a lot of games are just like, do this before everybody else and then you win. And also the game is over. But then it's uh, yeah, victory points or rule of the land these days. Because mm-hmm. they're more like, they more reward your performance throughout the game. 
instead of it being like a first past the post system. <laughs> That's right. We're bringing politics into this. <clears throat> Ooh. It is a proportional representation of your performance. <laughs> I think that maybe that is another element why people are fans of board games and why there are so many fans of board games because there is such variety in that space, right? Like you can pick any given mechanic. Uh, I'm going to pick one off this list. Uh, trick taking. Sure. Oh, that's a good example because they're old examples. Yeah. And there's any number of different games in that space that like could fit the bill. You've got like Euchre. You've got uh, probably Bridge. You've got like, uh, what is it? President? Is that one? Yeah. 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 Control, I'd also say, is a trick taking game. Uh, kind of. Yeah, because you have like a round and. Yeah. So, like, those are all just basic card games. But then when you take that mechanic and you, you can add different thematic elements to it, you can combine it with different pieces, you can give it a different aesthetic. Mm hmm. And all those different combinations of things generates different games. Uh, we were playing Eminent Domain, which is like a blending of Race for the Galaxy and like Dominion. But then you've got Dominion, which is like the preeminent deck builder. But then I was, I've also played Star Realms, which is like Dominion in space. <laughs> With a market row. With a, yeah. Oh, wait, no, Dominion has a market yeah. row. But like Dominion in yeah. space, but instead of having like victory points... You're just trying to whittle away their health. So it's kind of like you can gain victory points and lose them. And it's like there's so much different variety depending on the kind of games that you want to play. In the documentary, it was saying at some point in time, it's going to be very difficult to not be a fan of board games because it's going to be like, well, what don't you like? There's so many different things. Yeah. Uh, the Zappa argument. The Zappa argument? <laughs> he made like 100 albums. You gotta like one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it makes sense. <laughs> it's very possible to not like any of them <laughs> that's not my situation but like at a certain point someone's not gonna like zappa so yeah cool it uh, <laughs> there's an onion article called local man thinks friend just hasn't heard right zappa album yet but what about this <laughs> like at some a certain point you gotta give it up but i mean with there's a lot for... I just Sorry, go ahead. Very quickly say, with Zappa, there's kind of like a spine of, you know, blues and jazz in there that, that everything else is built on. So if you're not into blues or jazz... Move on. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to say that I don't like any board games because they cover such a wide wide range. Like, they're games for... If people are just used to playing card games as you're, like, trick-taking games like you were talking about. It's not far to jump from from that to like a you know a more recent board game or something like that. Or if you really like if you like chess, if you really like Monopoly, mm -hmm. um, I, I assume most people are just familiar with those board games, and that would be how you'd explain or get people onto other newer board games if you're trying to do that. Well, even in terms of like party games, right? Like it's like oh I've, yeah, a lot of people played Cards Against Humanity or Apples to Apples, and that's like well that means yeah. you understand how to play. All sorts of games in that space, whether it be like red flags or inventory control or whatever. Yeah. You're like it's a game where somebody has a card and you'd like try to pick a winner based on suggestions. It's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Kind of ladder all the concepts together. Yeah. Cause if you want to break it down, you like each game is you are learning different mechanics, which are used in different games and different combinations. So it's like the more games you play, the easier it is to understand other games. I was talking about this in the weekend. You can just start to describe games as, oh, it's this plus this. Yeah. 
so it, it seems like about now games are if you've played a few games seem like modular mm-hmm. like it's like this bit from this game and this bit from this because i think a lot of days that's how a lot of designers will start yeah if you're designing a board game and you're a big fan of board games you can't really start from scratch and pretend that you don't know anything about board games like you have to start from somewhere like uh it's it's i like this thing in this game and then we want to do this so there's a lot of introducing this new mechanic oh what if this mechanic did this and what if you took it in this direction so it's like each generation of games is built upon the back of the previous generation of games mm-hmm. because of that i think there's a poo-pooing at significantly older games except for campaign for north africa of course <laughs> has not been equaled is risk still considered kind of an all right game or is that also lost now too simple i'm not sure i ever knew how to play it properly <laughs> we certainly spent hours not playing it properly. <laughs> but uh that's your question no people don't play risk anymore. like board game games, yeah, yeah yeah don't play risk but risk was like the guinea pig for the hottest format these days which is legacy games uh, what do you mean risk was the i feel like risk legacy was the first legacy game oh i see yeah legacy games being it's like you play a series of games but your decisions in earlier ones affect the later ones like there's permanence famously in pandemic legacy and probably other legacy games you destroy cards yeah you find cards within other cards you put permanent stickers on the board wow and the idea there is like it's emphasizing that your decisions are important in the game because it makes things happen permanently that cannot be undone there was a series of that like happening in video games as well right like two or three years ago there was a large emphasis on the decisions that you make in this game matter they impact how different events unfold. that's kind of continued on but there was like a summer where every game had (laughs) had that sort of feel to it yeah yeah it's like it's mass effect every choice of the hundreds of choices that you make matters yes like real life (laughs) yeah except for the ending the ending's the same just like real life (laughs) (laughs) oh dang i feel like this is a dark episode (laughs) but yeah because you got you got so you got risk legacy you got pandemic legacy you got seafall you got gloomhaven you got charter stone um there are probably more coming out and you have time stories to some extent Time Story is kind of a legacy mm-hmm. game. A little bit. Basically like an interactive choose your own adventure. Yeah. yeah. But that is a good parlay into another reason why people play board games. Mm-hmm. And that is theme. <laughs> this game's dripping with theme. <laughs> well, dripping with theme, but also some people uh, are interested in how the theme and the mechanics mesh together. Yeah. Looking at you, Euphoria. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because it's like you place your workers your workers are dice and the higher the number on the dice the smarter they are and if they get too smart they realize that you're a dictator in a dystopia and they leave yeah that's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like in that situation the mechanics enforce the theme which is super satisfying mm-hmm. it, it gives you a little more immersion to feel like you're really doing the thing that the game tells you that you're doing when you move cubes around or whatever yeah dead of winter is another one that's got a lot of theme to it i enjoyed playing that yeah which is funny because or not funny that i enjoyed it but 
from that same survey, they also listed the genres that people tended not to like, hmm. like thematic genres. Hmm. Do you want to guess the top three? Okay. If I were to guess the, the most popular ones, just based on what I know, it would be like zombies, Cthulhu, and peasants farming for some <laughs> reasons. <laughs> I'd actually think that zombies might be in the unpopular top three. There are definitely a lot of games with zombies. Yeah. But at the same time, people might be sick of it. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, that gave me enough time to bring back the survey. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Well, I'd, I'd written down the bottom <laughs> ones. Uh, so, apparently, zombies are one of the least liked genres. 28.1. Sports. 32.2%. Doesn't bode well for that baseball cyborg game. Man, it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be good. But I can I can see because I can see board gamers being like I do this instead of playing sports or like whatever sports yeah. you know using my brain kind of thing. Yep, I, I've been there. Trivia, twenty four point eight. Huh. Now, that's an interesting one. One of my favorite games for a long time was Trivial Pursuit because I am a smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love trivia, like pub trivia. Did reach for the top. Did quiz bowl. University. I love that stuff. However, having played a few board games now, it doesn't interact with everything else I like about board games super well. Because I think it comes back to like people's dislike of randomness. Because like if you don't know this thing, then your plan doesn't work or whatever. That's what he needs to do is they need to build a game. It's all about you traversing a bunch of interconnected islands that are interconnected with bridges, all ruled by certain bridge trolls with interdimensional interplanetary knowledge and it's really just a trivia game in the guise of a more standard card and dice board game I feel like most trivia games are that but with no theme <laughs> it's just like get points for knowing things and so on yeah it's interesting i hadn't thought about that before but that makes sense mm-hmm. people want that immersion and i don't think trivia really offers it the same way yeah it, it represents the real world yeah which is not featured in immersion. There's nothing more immersive than the top three themes being sci-fi, 50%, medieval, 42.9%, and fantasy, 42.8%. <laughs> well, I'll call medieval the peasants farming <laughs> I was talking about. Yeah, I would agree. There are quite a few games in that category, and most of them are made by Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> Agricola, Caverna, La Havre, Glass Road, I don't think it's one of his games, but uh, the Castles of the Mad King Ludwig or Mad King Ludwig's Castles. Yeah, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. That is not one of his. No, It's not about peasants. No, but it's not really fantasy either. It's definitely medieval. It's it's medieval, yeah. yeah. It's based on a real guy. Yeah. There's a little bit of trivia for you. Oh. Yeah, because sometimes these things will be based on like little, weird little nuggets Mm -hmm. in history. Like, Europe drives a lot of board games. Yeah. Like, a lot of board games come out of of Germany and, and Poland and on that area so there's like there's usually a little bit of like like european history mm-hmm. strong into a lot of board games which is kind of neat but expansions is that a reason why people like board games because there's dlc i mean expansions it's dlc that people want to buy <laughs> <sighs> i don't know it, it feels like expansions can extend an interest in a game or mm-hmm. revitalize an interest in a game to like there's this idea like some people are like very appreciative of like this game is a really tightly designed game yeah. works perfectly and it's like beautiful in its simplicity other people are like i just want more of this yeah and there often is more of that 
there was an article that I read, and this is gonna <laughs> millennials ruining everything. Am I right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh... Related to what you just said about expansions kind of extending the life of the game, this isn't really an explanation of why people are fans of board games, not directly, but it might be an explanation for the boom of board games. So in a CNBC article entitled Millennials are Driving the Board Games Revival, and I'm going to quote this, this one person says, board games appeal to millennials from a financial perspective as a debt-laden millennials must now save towards priorities such as housing deposits, holidays, or paying off debts. While a board game may be an initially expensive purchase, for example, uh, copies of Catan retail around $48.99, it can be reused almost indefinitely and taken anywhere. You can go out to a pub, you can have a couple of drinks, but the focus can be on the board game, and that's basically free. <laughs> it's a way of socializing, but it's a way of doing it in a financially responsible way. <laughs> value. <laughs> I mean, you do get a lot of value for board games, unless you're like me and you buy a board yeah. game, play it three times, and then buy a new board game. Yeah, That's how that works. Yeah, That yeah. is the board game life. <laughs> Even though I feel like my search of, uh, I think on Reddit, was it was why like board games after why do you like board games didn't return anything um i feel like that search might have biased it a little bit but a lot of the results that came up were basically i buy a lot of board games why do i do this or hey you guys you buy a lot of board games why do you buy a lot of board games compulsion any answers well i mean obviously yeah a few answers a few answers things like you know novelty gotta try that new thing people get up on that hype train tying back to having to play that new thing if you're an active uh, redditor or board game geek forum goer, you got to be on there posting about the newest thing, so you got to play it. One person had a really interesting answer saying something like they went on a bit of a board game bender, bought a whole bunch of board games, and then kind of sat back and realized, well, I kind of went overboard there, but I can like crack into this maybe five, ten years down the road, and it'll still be just as good as it was you know, today, even if that's the first time that I wind up playing it. And then they made a comparison with video games where, you know, uh, by the time you get around to the video game, you might have played something that was better and be disappointed. Or you might not be able to play it because you wouldn't keep the console for some reason. I don't know. There are a few few board game biases going on in their <laughs> comparison. The only console you need is a, is a table. Ooh, the original console. Yeah. But if it's a heavy euro, a big table. <laughs> There's a, as it's called on board game, the cult of the new. I mean, they, they have a tracking chart called the hotness. <laughs> which is what it sounds like. <laughs> what people are talking about. It's not the highest rated games, but it's like most posts are most rated recently or something like that. And another thing, too, is you can watch like a book. Fresh some people. People can really get drawn in by like the art and components. Yeah. Scythe is a good example of that. Look at that box. You see the beautifully illustrated 1920s Eastern European countryside. People farming and looking nervous. And then a giant mech in the distance. What is going on? Beautifully rendered. And then, you know, you can get, with that game in particular, you can get, like, nice components. Not just wooden cubes. So, like, the gold is, like, gold. And, like, the food is in, like, little sacks and little bricks and stuff like that. So, like... Because it's physical, because you're actually physically interacting with it, and you know you got those nice, nice heavy pieces. Some games come with metal coins, yeah, and money, yeah, and that's you feel that in your hand. You're like, oh man, this is immediately more <laughs> valuable to me. 
because it has <laughs> it has heft, it has dimension. So like the look and feel of a game. I mean, admittedly, that's only once you open it, but yeah. um, can influence people a lot because like you can look at it like as maybe as a collector, say I have a high quality game there, it's really nice, which is totally divorced from mechanics. Yeah, you always want both. But like, just like the look and feel, the aesthetics of a game could be really important. With what you know about board gaming and sort of the, the nerd culture, the fan culture around it, G, and also T, is board game collecting a thing in the same way that, say, retro game collecting is a thing? I don't, I don't think so. Not, not where I okay. live in terms of board games. Like when I think of people collecting video games, people collect games because they want to like be a completionist mm. because they're games that they loved, right? Or things like that. But like the thing about board games is that oftentimes people find mechanics that they love and then just find other games that are mechanically similar. Yeah. yeah. Or they find games that they like there's definitely not a completionist sense because mm. like no one has that much money. Yeah. Well I mean, plus just thinking about completionism with video game collecting, I think there's over a hundred Mario games, so you'd be able to build up quite a collection if you just bought Mario games. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it's not like there are a hundred of any board game that features the same character, as far as I know. Magic cards (laughs) is the answer you're looking for. I think so. Collectible card games. (laughs) There were also some games that I found on the most expensive lists that I found that weren't expensive, expensive to buy the base game. But if you wanted to buy the whole set, so one was like Star Wars Imperial Assault, which is like 70 bucks to buy. But if you buy all the add-ons, it's almost a grand. Wow. Yeah, that was a game. game came out last year called Anachrony, where you can pay extra to have, like, models. You have, like, little exosuits a la Ripley and Aliens. Okay. Your characters are in them, and you can buy the models separately to represent your pieces more accurately if you want, but you don't have to take it. It's also a game where you can borrow resources from yourself in the future. <laughs> nice. Wow. But yeah. Yeah. I don't think collecting is, is the same because also you buy board games to play them a bunch of times, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Video games, you're perfectly content with playing something once and then coming back to it a long time later. Yeah. I should say there's no collecting with regards to trying to find older games that are valuable. Right. Oh, that too. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people yeah. that do that. But it's like, would you pay $50 more for the deluxe Kickstarter version? Heck yeah, <laughs> I would. Like, if it's like right then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People want those exclusives. Oh man, do they ever! And the the, the infamous dollar to weight ratio has been brought up oh. uh, in forums that I have read. Dollar to weight, like how good a game is it? Like, uh, did you get your value? Well, how heavy is it? Right. Have all those sweet components or cardstock or whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, how you know you got a good game. It's a secret of game design, everybody. Also, obsessed with trying to fit as much game into as small a space as possible. <laughs> you got those foam inserts, broken token. Their whole business is just selling really compact inserts for popular games. So you can fit the whole game and the two expansions in just the core game box. You gotta make room on those shelves. There's also... This is very unofficial. I've not done research on specifically this. Did a wild uptick in the purchase of Kallax shelves from Ikea. Oh, they're pretty nice. The modular shelves, which are just all square. Interesting. It's like the shelf is just like a grid, basically. 
but it's like it fits board games real nice. <laughs> man, oh man. I mean, getting back to the uh, community aspect that we were talking about <laughs> a little bit earlier, I also came across this thing related to collecting to some degree, maybe, or at least to getting new board games called a math trade for short. I have not heard that. Apparently, as far as I know, it's to the glossary. <laughs> it might be helpful because it is a thing that I think predominantly happens on boardgamegeek.com. Okay. Well, it's not oh, here. Really? Anyway, well. So you're a liar. <laughs> well, it does, does happen there. What it is, is um, a bunch of people get together and say, hey, I want to trade board games with you. And they, I guess, add some extra information saying this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm not looking for. All that information gets plugged into some sort of algorithm. And then that, that algorithm guarantees that you will get a, a game that is, I want to say in quotes, better because it's not a perfect system, but like better or the same game that you put into the trade. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I wanted to get this other game. This is like, I want a game that is better than the one I have. <laughs> well, I mean, something like that. I'm sure the algorithm, since it's a, a, it seems to be a Board Game Geeks thing, probably uses like the weight of the game you're putting in. If you say, I want to get something better, it like will look for something with a higher weight. Okay. That's my guess uh, as to how it works. But. Okay. Like if I found the thread on it and it's got a lot of text in it, but like what I'm reading mm -hmm. into it is it's like everybody compiles a list of preferences and then you find a cycle in that list of preferences. It's like rock, paper, scissors. Uh, you just need to like get a bunch, <laughs> enough people together until you have a cycle of rock, paper, scissors. And then everyone just <laughs> turned the wheel. Yeah, because it's like, I might think something's garbage, but you might love it. Yeah. And if you have at least two people who have that opinion, then you just like, you just make the trade. Yeah. There's probably like a mathematical term for that, but... Pretty neat. I like that. Yeah. What is maximize trades? Oh, God, close, close. Yeah, get out of there. <laughs> I mean, way too deep. Man, oh, man. All right. But do you think we're deep enough to come to a verdict? I think I might be able to see one at the other end. Anybody volunteering to... Anybody would. <laughs> I always oh. feel awkward when I'm the person who suggests the thing and then dives into it. <laughs> feel awkward when you suggest it and then don't. If it's verdict time, I can jump in. <laughs> all right. A uh, little wibbly wobbly on the call here. <laughs> I hate playing board games with all you guys. <laughs> yep, this is, it. this is it. I'm taking off the headphones. I'm throwing my mic off the table, jumping out the window. No, <laughs> my verdict on board game fandom is that it seems to be, for the most part, a fairly friendly, fairly positive place. I kept coming across people saying, you know, in the community there are maybe very vocal elements where if you uh, disagree with popular opinion, they will jump all over you and never let you live it down. Um, in my very brief time in board game nerd world, I didn't come across that. So either I didn't get too deep <laughs> or it's not that big a problem. <laughs> As a tourist in this land, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know. But I will say this. I uh, <laughs> am uh, out. Oh, no. I'm sorry for making you play all those board games. Oh man, I, I'm not I'm not out in that like I'm never gonna play a board game again in my life. Just that it's not a fandom that I see myself getting into. It's not a fandom that I'm really interested in diving deep into. On the one hand, I will say this, I gotta be honest here. On the one hand, I wouldn't mind, you know, like just 
digging into a game, playing it a bunch, but at the same time, a few times I, I saw the point brought up in those threads about, you know, why do you buy so many new board games all the time? People saying, well, you know, like playing something three, four times is pretty interesting, but like if you play it constantly, it just kind of gets old, kind of gets boring. And I can, I can understand that, but uh, so like on the one hand, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you just have a little stable of games and, and gain that deep mastery, really explore and everything. On the other hand, new game i mean as we were saying earlier in, in the discussion of the why a lot of these new games are sort of just like modular reconfigurations of different mechanics you know what happens if we make what happens if we take a deck building game and attach it to a worker placement game and you know see what happens kind of thing so like i find that interesting but outside of you know ut or ug coming out and being like oh hey Here's this new board game. Want to play? I don't think it's something I'm going to pursue. But as somebody who's continually thrown in those butts, I did come across a game that sound. I don't know if it if it made it to market. I don't know if it's a real game or if it was just a prototype at like a game convention somewhere. Apparently, there's a game called Mysterium, a Ukrainian game in which you are a bunch of paranormal investigators, and the way the game works is that a ghost gives you clues. Whatever you're trying to solve, and these clues come in the form of abstract art. I have some good news for you, Z. What's that? Evan owns that game, and I'm oh, sure man. he'll be bringing it to New Year's. Great. <laughs> awesome. Well, you neglected to realize that you saying that makes me never want to play a board game with you again, so I'm sorry you will never. <laughs> Got your chance. Door is closed. I my chance, and I threw it away. Ugh. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that ghost abstract art to open a door, <laughs> hey. and uh, and say that I am in. I haven't been a large participant in board game fandom. I do not work my way through Board Game Geek or through a five or whatever year long thread in uh, <laughs> something awful. And I don't necessarily keep up on games, but it is like a tangential aspect of the things that I do keep up with. And I do enjoy talking about board games and learning about board games and mechanics and strategy and all of those different components ladder really well into the kind of things that I do like doing. I like doing things that are cerebral when I'm with friends, doing things that have variety to them, whether it be like a betrayal game, which is fun because you get to see sides of people that you didn't, but it could also be games that are really less other player affected or co-op games. I was actually about to say that. A lot of the yeah. games that I enjoy are, are cooperative. Yeah. Like your Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island, The Captain is Dead. There we go. Games where the challenge doesn't come from individual winning, but from like, how the heck do we even survive this yeah. garbage? It's everybody using all their resources mm -hmm. to beat like one condition, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's usually really neat because people together come up with something that you wouldn't have thought of individually like when we were playing last time and we almost would have won had we survived for just one more turn that's right <laughs> uh so i i am in the source material itself like board games and the community seem great and i will probably continue buying board games and maybe participate more at my flgs whatever yeah. the thing yeah or it's like not so much game shop as like local board game cafe. Yeah, which are also on the rise, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, it's basically the equivalent of renting a game. Mm-hmm. You just have to stay there while you do it. Apparently that's a thing in Germany. Anyway. I'm not surprised. Renting renting board games, yeah. Oh. Ooh, neat. Yeah, I, I don't think I can see a way out because like, there's no way I can stop spending money on board games <laughs> and foresee a situation in which that would happen. So, yeah, I don't know. I've been pretty into it for the past year or so. I've started a good library of games. And I think part of both like the community at large of board game geeks and me in particular is like sort of this, like not only do the games now feel like they are an improvement on the games of old that little classic collection in every family's closet of like monopoly life and clue <laughs> but i think there's a sort of jubilation that there's so much choice like might as well be infinite choice of types of games you can play the amount of people you can play them with the amount of times you can play it and like what your experience is like and you know your experience can change vastly with people you play it with or just circumstances from game to game. And it feels like there's choice now, so you get more enjoyment out of it because it's more selective. It's like, oh, I'm the kind of person that likes this kind of game. Where before it was like, do you like Monopoly or not? So yeah, I love it. Like the community is generally pretty friendly, pretty, be like, yeah, come on in. Mm-hmm. Try, you know, Catan or Seven Wonders or, you know, Machikoro. Your classic gateway games. I do think there's a good deal of snoot in, in board games. You're like, oh, I only play the finest worker placement games or like this has a broken mechanic where if this happens, you can do this. So I don't play that game. No, I'm not very competitive. So (laughs) do you know there's competitive settlers tournaments? That seems weird to me. Huh? I mean, I guess so. Man. Yeah. See who's the high scorinest. Who's the luckiest. Yeah. Well, who can, you know, wash up on the shores of Catan with nothing but a, a log to their name and, turn it into an army of sheep and roads that's right <laughs> yeah there's so board board gaming is is entirely free of the idea of monotony now mm-hmm. so it feels like a glorious celebration that's i i am sucker for good art good components good theme and lots, it feels like puzzles for my brain as well if i'm trying lots of different kinds of games learning new rules and teaching games is a skill i'm also learning mm. the etiquette is if you get a game for your group of friends to like learn it beforehand so you can teach it yeah the opening the box itself can be exciting but yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm way in i'll probably continue to read forums i log my plays on board game geek oh hey oh cool i don't know why yet but the information's there if i want it so yeah way in okay well that brings us to the spotlight where we shine a light on a good cause or a cool thing related to this week's topic which is board games i have one spotlight and two honorable mentions. <laughs> two desk lamps. <laughs> two desk Yeah. Yeah. One bat signal, two desk lamps. Yeah. First honorable mention is uh, I was looking for board games charity and found Charity the Generous Game, released in 1999. <laughs> the quip for it is you have earned a fortune and you want to give it away to charity, but you can't help acquiring more money. Don't give it all away, though, or you are back where you started. Ooh. So, I don't know, just a weird board game that happened to be... <laughs> like reverse Monopoly? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the second honorable mention, I wanted to bring up during the episode, but had absolutely no way to do so. It just didn't fit anywhere. There's a group called Quantic Foundry, and in Quantic Labs, they have two tools that you can check out. One called the Gamer Motivation Profile, 
and the other one being the board game motivation profile. You answer a series of questions, takes like less than 15 minutes. At the end of it, it, they have a model that they have built that determines what your primary motivations in a number of different categories are around game mechanics, around uh, whether theme is important, things like that, based on how strongly you answered the questions. Hmm. Uh, I think they also have quick game recommendations. So if you're interested, you can check that out at apps.quanticfoundry.com. I'm sure if you look up Gamer Motivation Profile, you'll probably find it too. But the real spotlight this week is the Spiel Foundation. Um, I feel like I've heard Spiel before somewhere. Spiel, I believe, is German for game. Oh, well, that would make sense. The Spiel Foundation is a nonprofit in the United States uh, dedicated to donating quality card and board games to senior citizen centers and children's hospitals, five games at a time. So a little quip from their site. Each year, we assemble bundles of five games and donate these bundles to organizations that fit our mandate. To date, we have donated over 2,000 board games and card games to kids and seniors around the country. If you want to check that out, you can go to thespielfoundation.com or just Google that because that'll probably correct your incorrect spelling of spiel, S-P-I-E-L. I don't know. It's probably easier to just Google it phonetically. Yep. Spiel. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that it's going to be like S-C-H-P-I-E-L uh. or something. Uh, yeah, so check that out. You can also check Phanthropological out on iTunes. Please go over there to the iTunes store, hit subscribe so you get uh, fresh hot takes every Friday afternoon. And uh, also don't forget to leave a rating and review, let people know what is going on over at Phanthropological so we can get more people listening to the podcast. This podcast is Phanthropological. The three of us are the next cast, and you can find all our exploits at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook slash the next cast. You can also find us at patreon.com slash the next cast yeah what is patreon patreon is a place where you can become a patron of artists and content creators that you love if you like the next cast for example uh, if you like our podcast if you like our twitch stream if you like the convention coverage that we do the interviews that we do if you like that being ad free and if you like supporting us you just want to help us out even as little as a dollar a month is hugely helpful. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash nextcast and making a monthly pledge. And if you do that, thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. And if you are listening to this podcast through your earbuds, your headphones, your speakers, your car stereo, your haunted popomatic popper, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to keep listening. You're also going to want to check out twitch.tv slash nextcast. Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to see us live streaming this recording. That's right. You can join us here in the lovely uh, three-part Nextcast virtual studios and see us as we record these episodes live Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can come in, say hello, drop some comments, throw in your own little bits of research if you got them or your own bits of fan knowledge if you've got them and you can also contribute to the famous last words words. yes famous last words is where we say things and then research them next week statements questions etc next week is another pick of g's if i'm not mistaken i don't know if we said that there's probably evident Mm -hmm. but i don't know if we outright said that yeah anyway yeah i pick four games I also picked escape rooms.
Yeah, which is next week's. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, for anybody listening, uh, if you have famous last words around escape rooms, about fans of escape rooms, questions, statements, comments, etc., drop them in the chat and we will research them for next week. But for the people not in the chat, what are your famous last words around escape rooms? Okay. I've got a question. I am curious about what the biggest escape room is. And I don't I don't mean like, you know, biggest single open room with like the most square footage. I mean, I wonder, I want to know, is there a house that in its entirety is an escape room? Have escape rooms become so popular that that's a thing? Or is that just a twinkling in some escape room creator's eye right now? I have thoughts on that, but I don't want to answer. <laughs> like bu- business thoughts, yeah. not super interesting yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it seems too obvious or maybe not obvious enough, mm. but the first escape rooms were inspired by uh, Red Room simulators. Oh, hey, right. And I feel like it probably is going to be, but I'll find more information out about it. Okay. Kaito L actually has not a statement, but just like a thing that we should research. All right. They write the 999DS slash 3DS games are a thing we should research. Uh Uh, And there's going to be a Detective Conan themed escape room at Universal Studios Japan next year as part of the Cool Japan promo. Oh, wow. So those are things that we should look into for next week's episode. Also, if you want a, an exact meeting between this week's episode and next week's episode, try the Unlock Games yeah. <laughs> by Space Cowboys. Oh, man. All right. I had one thought, which I'm going to make from my famous last words, because I couldn't complete the second one. I will mm. say what the second one was. I want to know, is there a survival horror escape room? And I don't mean like, oh, there's zombies. I mean like putting like the fear of God, like scaring the crap out of you, like you think you're going to die kind of escape room. <laughs> that happened to me, but I'm a scaredy cat. I don't know if it was meant to be, but we did like a serial murder themed one. Oh man. Was there like an actor in there? No. Okay. Cause I'm thinking like you're in a room, like the room starts filling with gas, not poisonous yeah. gas, yeah. but like you're starting to fear for your life. Yeah. Kind of. But, we had someone in to give us a clue, and we definitely thought that it was an actor. Oh. oh. <laughs> we were, like, freaking out. But he's like, oh, guys, you just got to do this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. The other idea was in a similar vein. I wonder if there's, like, a super realistic museum heist. Ooh. But I, I'm i going to write that down. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to do a twofer. Unprecedented. Another situation in which there are American and European-style escape rooms. Yeah, I was, I was thinking as he was asking his question, now it reminds me of a Scandinavian Northern LARP. Oh, yeah. Where you're just trapped in a room and you've got to diffuse some sort of situation or something with a bunch of different people. Although in that case, the puzzle is political or <laughs> social, not, you know, yeah, find this color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's that. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for watching, too, Kaito Al. Everybody else watching, listening. Keep your meeples on the table. Mm-hmm. Is this supposed to be like red green? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Bye. Goodbye.
Like you're you're ready to go? I am ready to go. What? I don't believe it. Try me. I'm already not believing it. There's nothing to try. Make sure we're not using the onboard mic. Okay. We're good. That happens sometimes. All right. Well, I'm ready when you are and when Z is. Already. <laughs> Please, sir, sever your leg. Sever your leg, sir. All right. All right. Five, four, three. <clears throat> oh, wait. No. Nope. 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 Abort. Abort. <laughs> no, it's because the group chat is in here. Oh. All right. Five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. forgot what the first part was <laughs> amazing <clears throat> live from the next cast Phanthropological institute after five rounds we'll tally the victory points and see who the winner is today we're talking about board game geeks